Welcome to the Data Scientist Podcast with Dr. Stylianos Kabakis. Dr. Kabakis is a data scientist, statistician, and blockchain expert with a mission to educate the public about the wonderful capabilities of technologies like AI, data science, and DLTs. These technologies have the potential to transform the world, the economy, and our lives. However, there is too much misinformation around tech, and so most people are just confused about what is true and what is not. Whether you are a CEO, an entrepreneur, or just an enthusiast, the Data Scientist Podcast helps you separate reality from hype. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Data Scientist Podcast. I'm very happy to have here with us today Alessandra. I hope I'm not going to butcher your surname. Is it Schicitano? Schicitano. Close. Okay. Okay. That was good enough. And Alessandra is, you know what? What if you introduce yourself? Because you're going to make a better job at it than I will ever do. <laughs> oh, okay. So, hello everyone. To begin with, I'm Alessandra, originally Italian, but based in Switzerland. I live in Zurich and my background is in tech. So I started with computer engineering school and then I moved on with a PhD in systems and computer engineering. And from there, my whole career was in tech. Moving from one role to another, starting as a researcher, then moving on to software development, project management, product management in different fields like cybersecurity, identity management, network performance. I mean, I have 15 years of experience in the field, so I did work in different areas. And the last years before I started my own consulting business were in emerging technologies. So that included artificial intelligence as well. A few years ago, I started my own business. Now I do product strategy for the tech vertical. So where I help companies bringing products to the market and create high impact and recurring business, basically. And on the side of that, I mentor in a couple of accelerators. One of these is called BAI. It's a pre-seed for, for artificial intelligence-based startups. And at the same time, I lecture in a local university here in Zurich. I think I said everything. Uh, well, I do different things, but you know, if I forgot something, it surely come up during our discussion. <laughs> yes, I think one thing you, you actually forgot is your very interesting work on, let's call it digital archaeology. Yes, <laughs> yes. Actually, that has a big role now in what I do. Yeah, it's called the archaeology of zero to one. Mm -hmm. That's a name that was given actually to the work by someone and then I kept it because I thought it was brilliant and it reflected exactly what I do. So I have a newsletter and every two weeks I share a breakdown of a successful product of the likes, for example, like Canva, Buffer, the last one was Slack, where I go back to their first years. So mm -hmm. when nobody knew the product and they started out and I mm -hmm. look at the strategies that they had, they applied to grow and distribute in the market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a work that I love because I'm telling you, I get lost on the internet. I can spend <laughs> hours, you know, I use the web archive to look at how their website was at the very beginning. I look at very old tweets, the press release, everything that I can find to understand what they did. And these are all learnings that can be repeated because at the beginning, nobody had money. So mm -hmm. it, has, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do really with their decisions on how to move 
in the market and to mm-hmm. the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is the zero to one a reference to Peter Thiel's famous yeah. book, Zero to One? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's why I think it's a very good name. And people mm-hmm. understand immediately, you know, the reference to Peter Thiel. And, you know, they understand immediately that it's about startups and, you know, how they grew Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's one of my favorite books on entrepreneurship and innovation. For those of you who didn't have the chance to read it, I would really urge you to go and buy a copy. It's not a very big book. You can probably read it over a few days, depending on how much free time you have. And initially, when I first picked this book up, I was wondering why it's not called something like, I don't know, From Zero to Infinity. It sounds a bit cheesy, but this is what I would expect. And what Peter Thiel is actually saying in the book is that going from one to infinity or to a billion or a trillion or whatever, it's not that difficult. What's difficult is going from zero to one, is creating something out of nothing. And this is really where most businesses fail, where most entrepreneurs fail. And if you speak to entrepreneurs, you quite often hear this story that, oh, I I tried the three, five, 10, 20, whatever many ideas. There was this one idea that actually worked. And this was the zero to one, right? Whereas all the rest just stayed at zero. Incredible. You know, it is correct. That's the hardest part in everything we do. Really, the hardest is that initial step Hmm. to, you know, to be able to get that initial step right. And once you do that, the rest comes in a way or in another. Yeah. So I also like that, you know, I think it made absolutely sense that he chose zero to one instead of infinity, as you said. Yes, 100%. And during your research, can you maybe walk us through some interesting case studies or your favorite examples? Yeah, look, I have to tell you, every each of them, really not advertising, you know, but guys, if you can, like maybe Stilianos, you can share like the link to the to the website of the newsletter mm-hmm. and people can go through the case studies. How can they I find can. it? I can also add it on the description of the podcast, but maybe also you want yeah, to it's, uh, speak it's, it out for those who are just listening on the podcast. Yeah, it's called tiltnewsletter.com. Mm-hmm. That's the website of the newsletter. So how do you spell the first word? T-I-L-T. Okay. Tilt mm-hmm. newsletter. Okay. And .com. And there, because the newsletter is called Tilt or Tech mm-hmm. in the Loop. Okay. That's a framework that I developed based on a method, an artificial intelligence method that you all know very well, which is the human in the loop. I just mm-hmm. flipped it and created a framework for a product strategy. So the newsletter is called Tilt because in Tilt I share, you know, different like content about product strategy, about tech. And then the archaeology of zero to one is actually a column of the newsletter. There is, there is a story behind, you know, how I ended up mm-hmm. doing this archaeology of zero to one. But the, all the case studies are on the website of the newsletter so people can simply go there and already read the breakdowns that i did in the Mm -hmm. in the past issues and all of them it's amazing all of them have very interesting twists in the story so give us an example yes so i broke down so last one was luck Mm -hmm. right i i didn't know much about luck Mm-hmm. So what I found is that one of the co-founders of Slack is actually the, one of the co-founders of Flickr. Okay. Do you know what Flickr is? Isn't this a website for images? Exactly. Is this so, still around? 
Oh, it is. It has 112 okay. million users. Okay, I didn't know about this. Yes. So it's exactly. It's a, it's a, let's say, a website, a server, you know, very popular among photographers, both mm. amateur and professionals. And one of the founders of Slack was a co-founder of Flickr. So when he launched Slack, he was already well-known. But... Mm-hmm which makes things super easy. He was already yes. a millionaire, you know, super well-known in the field. Yahoo mm. acquired Flickr, so he had... So you might think that's the secret to Slack mm. success. Well, then made things easier, of course. But then they had... First of all, they had a very nice strategy, a very good, you know, defined plan to launch the mm-hmm. product. So they leveraged... Stewards, so that's his name, Stewards uh, Popularity, to capture more attention. But then they had uh, like psychology tricks like exclusivity, you know, to get more people interested. Mm. Exclusivity is a bit like clubhouse work, you know, in the beginning you yeah. can join only by invitation. Yeah. So they said, subscribe, you know, like leave your interest and we will get back to you. And if you are part of this elite group that is going to test the Slack, we'll also give you $100, you know, in credit. So Mm -hmm. they had a bunch of tricks. But what really kind of blew me off, seriously, is that the steward, one of the co-founders, was actually trying to do another thing. These were all pivots. So his dream, I think, is to be able to build a super successful online game. That's, okay. This is what he was doing when he launched Flickr. Basically, he did this first online game and was a disaster. Okay. So they very fast decided to pivot and, la- and launch Flickr. And Flickr was like, it's a billion deal, right? Uh-huh. So when he got tired of Flickr because he was acquired by Yahoo, it seems that he wasn't really happy about working for Yahoo. So he sort of left Yahoo and started a new company to build another online multiplayer game, which failed again. But he pivoted again because (laughs) in order to support the internal work, you know, that they were doing in the company, they built this tool called Slack. That was mm-hmm. like an IRC, you know, and people in the company. So yeah, exactly. This is what I thought when I first saw this. I'm like, that's like a glorified MIRC for those of us who are old enough it to is. remember it. It <laughs> is, right? So he said, okay, let's just take everything and let's launch Slack. And there we yeah. go, you know, like Slack was both bought for 20 billions, like for, from Salesforce. I don't remember exactly that. And I was like, this guy, pivoting is hard, let me yeah. tell you, is one of the hardest things to do. Indeed, very few people managed to actually pivot and to do it successfully. And he did that twice. And both Crazy. of them were like super, you know, a billion deal like companies. Mm-hmm. So that really, I was like, this guy is a genius of the pivoting. So that was for, for Slack that really made me really interested. Canva was also very interesting because everybody thinks Canva was born as Canva and it's not true. He was born as something mm-hmm. called Fusion Books that Melanie Perkins was selling to universities. And the only use case for that too was yearbooks. Mm-hmm. So she would just go and sell it to Australian universities uh, saying that by using their web tool, 
it would take them 30 minutes to do the yearbook and it would be a much cheaper deal than if they went to do it, you know, with a professional. Mm -hmm. And for seven years, Canva was actually fusion books and it was doing mm -hmm. only that. Yeah. And then at some point, they tried to expand to Europe and it didn't work very well. And, and that's clearly, you know, like in Europe, we don't have yearbooks. Mm -hmm. So there was True. no... They, they, <laughs> I don't so, have one. <laughs> no, me as well, honestly. I didn't even know there was a thing until, you know, I got, you know, talking to people that were from the States or from Australia, yeah. right? So, or Canada, but in Europe is not a thing at all. So they tried to expand and clearly it didn't go very well. And I think what happened there is that in the need of expanding their market, they realized that they had to expand the tool. So what was the simple use case of yearbooks became, you know, the use cases of all graphic mm -hmm. possible online. And this is when Canva was born. They had already patented the technology mm -hmm. and they had a winning deal. So the first time they decided, the first round, they raised three millions. Mm -hmm. And one of the investors was the CFO of Yahoo. So they had big names. And yes. with three millions, there is a lot you can do. Yes. Yes. So that's how Canva started. So each of them has something that people don't know, they wouldn't guess, or that even probably the founders themselves don't remember anymore. But because the internet forgets nothing, mm -hmm. absolutely nothing, then I'm able, you know, to find like tweets where they shared something or interviews mm -hmm. where they said yes. something else. Or for example, in Buffer, the other, I broke down Buffer as well. And what came out, you know, is that the founders were completely ignored, ignored by everyone. Mm -hmm. Like they kept going knocking on people's door and people really didn't care. And I wonder how these people now feel, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, Buffer is another stupid tool. Very, very, it was sold then. And was it sold? No, Buffer wasn't sold, but it's, it has like millions in ARR. So it's pretty mm -hmm. big. And then they started making a plan and they had very clear from the very beginning where like they were going. Mm -hmm. So they managed to, and it was all networking. Mm -hmm. They were great at networking. They were really, You mean with investors? With everyone. Okay. They were really amazing with everyone, with their beta testers, with the inverse investors. Okay. So the two co-founders are really people persons. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can see it, that indeed one of them now left Buffer and started coaching to help people, successful people to be happy. Mm -hmm. No, so he is really, you can see it from the blog post, from the Twitter, he was always oriented to people. So they networked so much with their users, with their peers that inevitably they ended up knowing big names in the tech world and they got investors like one of the co-founders of HubSpot, Darmesh was one of their initial first mm -hmm. investors. Like in the first round, they got super big names. And you can see that each of them is, di is different. Mm -hmm. So I haven't found like two similar stories. I see. And they are all very connected to 
the founders. So that's when like, I work with startups. I always tell them that they need to find what works for them, not just for their products, but also for them as people, because they have to be comfortable in the way then they decide to carry their product forward. Mm-hmm. And if you had to give, let's say, some advice to founders and new entrepreneurs, maybe based off the framework you, you've created, what would this advice be? Not just as the framework that I created, but also in personal experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I left my career in, a, in, in corporate and company, yes. I thought I had it all figured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe I had, you know, I had a, I thought I had a very good plan and everything, but it doesn't go like that. It's hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. So you have days where you think everything is fine. And then you have days where you feel like nothing is going how you think it should. Mm-hmm. So the suggestion I have is to hang in there. It, it usually takes a bit, you know, to reach a point where it's a little bit more stable. But in mm-hmm. the beginning, it's really, really hard. So really the most personal advice I can give is to hang in there, continue working, keep in mind how you can help people. That's what makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. If you can use your product, your company, your startup, you need to make a difference, whether in people's life or in people's work, you know, that's what you need to keep in mind. Because today, especially in tech, we have way too much tech. <laughs> that's true. Too much. <laughs> There's like a gazillion apps and software to do even the most trivial thing. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I always so bring true. the example of when I started computer engineering, you know, that was quite some years ago. I'm not going to say how many because I'm not that old or yeah. I want to forget where I'm going. But anyway, so my first year in computer engineering, in engineering school, I didn't have a computer. Mm-hmm. So I was going to the lab. And the computers there were the type of computer that you turn on, you go, take a coffee with your friends, have, yeah. a, have a chat. <laughs> been there, yeah. Right? Yeah. Come back and, and, and the, the computer is still there crunching, you know, yeah. before it gives you the prompt <laughs> that you can start doing something. So back then, there was no choice. Mm-hmm. So the second year, my parents bought me finally a computer because I was working sometimes in the evening as well. And there was no choice. They bought me the best they could afford. And still, it was very crappy. Would really piss me, piss me off all the time. Wasn't doing what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I had no other choice. I had to stick with that. And that's it. Mm-hmm. We are past these times, you know. We are past these times where we tech is imposed on us. Now we can yes. change. If, we, if you don't give me exactly what I want or something close to it, I'll simply move on to the next one. Yeah. So today, to really make it, I believe we really need to keep in mind, so what kind of help I'm giving? What is mm-hmm. my tool doing? And leverage that. So always talk to your users. Always talk to your customers. Try to understand what they feel when they use your product and how you can help them to improve in what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So yes. I think that makes a huge that make that that in my opinion, and this is also the framework, you know, the tech in the yes. loose idea. That's the framework. Mm-hmm. So I'm a strong believer in human centricity when it comes to tech. So mm-hmm. tech should go around humans, yeah, and not the other way around. So we yes. all. So that's the whole principle behind the framework. Yeah, yeah. I think many people put the carriage before the horse, and I think especially if you're in the B2C space, because most of the examples you gave it were the B2C space. Yes. I think that's absolutely crucial. And, you know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. And any idea I've worked on personally has not been a B2C. Early on, when I was still a university student, I got involved in B2C and I just found many aspects of it very intimidating. And mm-hmm. after hearing the stories you're sharing, it demonstrates how chaotic, I guess, this space can be. At the same time, obviously, more and more entrepreneurs are attracted to this space because of the scale, right? Yeah. And the rewards that this can bring. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a tough space. B2C can be much tougher than B2B. Much tougher. So mm-hmm. when I was working, so I was more in the B2B. So mm-hmm. I was mainly involved in productized services and it was B2B. And I can tell you that clearly it doesn't scale the way you can scale with B2C. I mean, yes. B2C, clearly you, you can reach really the millions and more of users. And into, mm-hmm. in B2B, it's a little bit more contained and, and it makes mm-hmm. sense as well. But it's also easier to scale, meaning that you know you are targeting businesses And you have different way to reach to these specific businesses once you have your profile set up. In mm. the B2C is a jungle, right? Yeah. Because you need to reach people in mm-hmm. their houses. So you do it via social media. And then the competition is killer because everybody is trying to do the same that you do, trying to yeah. reach people. <laughs> Right. But it is interesting for me in terms of product, you know, it's a very interesting field, B2C. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting because it brings in a lot of, of psychology as well. And mm-hmm. I'm passionate about psychology too. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It brings in so many elements. And I guess this is also what makes it so challenging and for an entrepreneur to actually have a good understanding of all these different aspects, plus fundraising. Plus yeah. also have a good idea. Plus being able to pivot is something incredibly challenging. And I guess luck plays a huge role in this as well. But at the same time, we can't underestimate the importance of luck, but also we shouldn't underestimate, overestimate yeah. it either, right? Yeah. Because sometimes felt entrepreneurs can use luck as an excuse for bad ideas or bad execution or bad teams, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You're right. Luck plays a role. I mean, being at the right time, you know, in the right place clearly makes a difference. But I think most of the time startups fail also because they don't really look at the market. Mm-hmm. You know that there was this very famous research that showed that almost 50% of the startups fail because there is no market for what they do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that... And I understand that, you know, I truly understand that sometimes founders have an idea and the idea is, is exciting. And then they throw mm-hmm. themselves working on the idea and then they forget, you know, to actually go and test the market to see if mm-hmm. people would pay for that idea. Because your idea might be super interesting, but at the end of the day, you need somebody that pays for it. 
-hmm. Otherwise, it's not a business. Otherwise, you don't have a business. Yes, yes, that is correct. A hundred percent. Great. I think this has been a very interesting conversation, to say the least. Maybe you'd like to also share again this URL with our listeners so they know where to find you. Yes, yes. So the newsletter is called uh, Tilt Newsletter. So the website is tiltnewsletter.com and Tilt is spelled T-I-L-T, the newsletter, and Mm -hmm. then .com. And that's the newsletter. And then I have my own website because that's what happened is that at the beginning I had the newsletter on the website, on my (laughs) website, but then it grew. It grew so much that I was like, okay, no, I have to separate the two things. They are two different things. So my own website where you can read about me more if you're interested, my background, the work I do with the product strategy, consulting, is called byaures.com. It's B-Y-A-U-R-E-S.com. So byaures. And there you can read more about me as well. Perfect. Thank you, Alessandra. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. It's great indeed. Perfect. So thanks everyone for staying with us and make sure to visit the datascientist.com for more content around AI, data science and blockchain. And we hope to see you again soon. Thank you and bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit the datascientist.com for more content about data science, AI and blockchain.